Okay. <clears throat> so we're doing now Tuesday's portion of Ayichi. This is the last partial, last portion in the book of Bracious of Genesis. And we have opening up the portion, Jacob, Jacob, coming to the end of his life after 17 good years in Egypt, good years on the most physical sense with Joseph and his children, good years on the spiritual sense and the impurity of Egypt serving God and fulfilling our purpose of making God a home in every portion of our physical reality. And now, as his life is coming to an end, he both turned to Joseph to commit to bearing him in Israel, and now Joseph is bringing his two sons, or his two oldest sons, Ephraim and Menashe, to be blessed by Jacob before his passing. And what we have here at the very end of yesterday's portion is that Joseph set up the boys in such a fashion that Menashe should be positioned to receive on his head Jacob's right hand because he was the older one. And Ephraim should be positioned that on his head would be Jacob's left hand because he was the younger one. But Jacob crossed his hand and put his right hand on the head of Ephraim and his left hand on the head of Menashe, and then he blessed them, the famous blessings that many people use to bless their own children. And now the portion continues today with Joseph responding to the fact that his father had been officially blind at this point, but obviously sees, and it crossed his hands to put his right hand, the stronger hand, on Ephraim, the younger son's head. And Joseph saw that his father was placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it was displeased to him. So he supported his father's hand to remove it from Hanifrayim's head to Menashe's head. Of course, Joseph himself had suffered from being, so to speak, especially beloved by his father and being younger than his older brothers, and he did not want history to repeat itself this way. So he supported his father's hand. He raised it from his son's head, and he's supporting it with his hand to move it. And Joseph said to his father, not so, father, for this is the first time. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused, saying, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people. He too will become great. However, his younger brother shall become greater than he, and his offspring's fame will fill the nations. So obviously, again, Jacob, Joseph was, in a sense, even more supreme than Jacob, being able to be so godly and saintly in Egypt. Jacob still could see things that Joseph couldn't. And he said, I know. I know he's the firstborn. I know he's going to become great. I know he's going to have great people from him. Gidon was a great saint, a great tzaddik that came from Menashe, and God performed a tremendous miracle. Gidon, with 300 soldiers, wiped out the Midianim that had 135,000 soldiers. So great people will come from Menashe. He'll be great. But his younger brother, Ephraim, is going to have this amazing descendant called Joshua, Yoshua. And he is going to inherit the land to the Jewish people. He is going to be the teacher of Torah to Israel after the passing of Moses. And his fame is going to be in the whole world because he's going to do something that affects the whole world. When the Jews were battling in Givon, and it was getting dark, and they couldn't continue the battle to make them win in a natural way, Joshua asked for a very supernatural miracle, and he asked for the sun and the moon to stand still. The sun stood still in Givon, the moon in Emek Ayalon, and with the light of the sun, they were able to win the war in a natural fashion. Some say it's still for 
36 hours, 24 hours, but wherever it sits still, it sits still for the entire world. The sun can't stand still in Israel, but still be moving in North Africa or America. So the whole world experienced the sun standing still, and eventually news trickled. However, it wasn't WhatsApp in those days. But eventually the word came to the world at that time that, oh, this is the leader of the Jews, and he made the sun stand still. So the whole world knew of Joshua, and that greatness descendants of Menashe don't have. So he blessed them that day, saying, and of course these words are very famous, and many people use them in blessing their children, by you shall Israel bless they, may God make you like Ephraim and like Menashe. And again here, the verse is commenting, and he put Ephraim before Menashe. So in you, Israel shall bless, meaning someone who comes to bless his sons, blesses them by their blessings. And says to his sons, may God make you like Ephraim and like Menashe. And again, here in the blessings, he's saying Ephraim's name first to imply that Ephraim's going to be first. He was the first in the flags, meaning how the tribes arranged camping in the desert. The tribe of Benasha camped under the heading, under the flag, the standard of the tribe of Ephraim. And also in the dedication of the princes, when the princes brought the offerings to inaugurate the tabernacle, so the prince of the tribe of Ephraim brought his offering before the prince of the tribe of Manasseh. And this phrase that Jacob is using here, in you Israel will bless, is a phrase the Bible Jerebus quotes very much and analyzes in his talk on the anniversary of the passing of his wife, the 22nd of Shvat, because Becha, in you Israel will bless, is 22, meaning in 22 is this enormous blessing for Israel. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die. God will be with you. I will bring you back to the land of your fathers. And I have given you chet, which means literally one portion, more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amori, with my sword and with my bow. But I've given you, what's he talking about here? So Jacob is saying, because you're going to go through this trouble of being involved in my burial, as he had asked Joseph to take personal responsibility that he is not buried in Egypt for the three reasons that Rashi enumerated there, that he shouldn't uh, have to go through the rolling to get to Israel, that he shouldn't have the lice crawling over his body, that he shouldn't be revered as a deity. So I asked you, because none of the other brothers have the power to do this. So you're going to be involved in my burial. So I have, I'm giving you something. I'm giving you a place for you to be buried. And where are you going to be buried? Shem, literally meaning Shem as the city, as we see later, that says the bones of Joseph were brought to, from Egypt and were buried in Shem. So Shem, meaning literally the city, that's yours. And that portion, that extra city you're getting over your brothers, meaning every tribe got a certain allotment and your tribes will also. And then plus, besides whatever, as for population, your descendants receive through Ephraim and Menashe, you're going to get an extra city, Shechem, for your burial site. And I conquered this with my sword and my bow, meaning after Shimon and Levi killed out the people of Shechem, everybody, all the Canaanites around, gathered together to, to fight with Jacob's family. Because, oh, now you're trying to take over Israel. We know you have this ancient prophecy, and now you're trying to fulfill it. Jacob had to go to war. So he fought for and won this city. So he says, it's mine, and I'm giving it to you. 
That's one way of looking at this verse. Another way is that Shechem means a portion. So he's saying here, one portion, the portion of the birthright of the firstborn, which I gave you by giving, your, by giving you a double portion. The firstborn gets a double portion. So every other tribe has one tribe coming from him. Reuven has Reuven, and Shimon has Shimon. But Joseph has two, Yosef, uh, Ephraim, and Menashe. So I gave you that double portion, that extra shem, that extra portion, which is what you go to the firstborn, of course, in a sense. Joseph was the firstborn because he was the firstborn of the main wife, Rachel. He was her firstborn. So in a sense, he was truly the firstborn, though he was born after all of the other brothers. <laughs> Besides Benjamin, he was the 11th of the boys to be born, but in a sense, he was the firstborn. So he got this portion of the firstborn's rights here, say, because you're going to go through all this trouble to bury me, I want to give you this extra portion. So if we said Shechem meant literally the city, so we understood the idea of, which I took from the memory with my sword and my bow, because I fought for Shechem. But if Shechem means in its translation, literalness, a portion, and I'm giving you the portion of the firstborn, that double extra portion, so what does he mean by which I took from the hand of the Amor with my sword and with my bow? So that then, the Amori refers to Esau, who was acting like an Amori. Amori were considered the most corrupt and sinful of the Canaanite nations. So Esau here is compared to the most sinful of the nations around the Amori. And I took this from Esau because Esau thought he had the rights of the first form. And I took this from Esau, or Esau is called the Amori, not as a reference to that nation, but in addition because Amori is like from the word Amar to say, because he would trap his father with his mouth. He would say seemingly pious words to trap his father into leaving him to be far more pious than he was. So in either interpretation, and Murray is a reference to Esau, that Jacob took the firstborn rights from with his sword and his bow, here meaning with the wisdom, meaning with his Torah and with his prayer. That's the sword and the bow of the Jewish people. is isn't literally girding ourselves for physical war. We don't see a physical war between Esau and Jacob. But the Torah and the prayer, those are our weapons with which we can take from Esau that which is rightfully ours. In this case, the portion of the firstborn, the double portion, which Jacob is now giving as a gift to Rachel's firstborn, Joseph, through which he has the two tribes from him, of Menashe and Ephraim.